Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Jordan. If uh, we've never met or you're watching on the internet, I'm one of the ministers on staff here. and I'm here today to teach you a little bit about Jesus, a little bit about uh, what Jesus has to say, especially about worry and anxiety. We've been talking about this. We talked about this a little bit last week, and we're going to continue to talk about it again this morning, taking uh, our lesson from Luke chapter 12, though I'll put these texts up for us as we go. I think that it's probably safe to say that all of us have experienced worry and anxiety, especially, I think, heavily over the past few months. This seems like an appropriate thing for us to be wrestling with. How do we deal with this experience that we have of not knowing what's going to happen next? How do we deal with this experience that we've had of bad experiences that suddenly inform our fears about our future experiences? Well, remember with me that that as Jesus, as this chapter unfolds, that it doesn't begin with Jesus just wanting to talk about worry, but rather Jesus encountering with his disciples something that will cause anxiety in them. And that is that they have been thrust into the position of being leaders. People are now looking at them as the access point to perhaps the most popular teacher alive at the time who's doing miracles. And so the temptation in them is to to offer an image of themselves that is grander than it actually is. Have you ever felt that temptation? We feel that temptation in so many different places and in so many different ways. The word we use is hypocrisy, and Jesus warns us against that. Now, part of it is because it feels, part of the reason we do this, I think, is because we, it feels good to just present a better image than we are, because I'm really terrible underneath, and I'd rather keep that to myself. And uh, so there is a sense of liking everybody to think grand of you, but I think there's also a deep fear of that authenticity, that, that if we share that thought or that experience or that struggle, somebody will look at us because we don't act, believe, or look like what they think we should be, and that they will judge us for it. And so we bury it and keep it quiet. Church is sometimes the last place people feel free to ask questions, and to share pain. And that's because we're afraid. And so the temptation in us as people, as believers, especially as people who are trying to live lives that look like Jesus, the temptation to be outwardly better than we are is grand. And we need to resist that, Jesus says. He says also that we need to resist the fear of money which is the next thing that shows up and something that is obviously quite alive in society right now. We're all very worried about the economy and jobs and all of this sort of thing. And Jesus very scandalously offers us the opportunity to let that go. He very scandalously offers to us the opportunity to be like the birds and to be like the plants and to be like all the things that you see about and to trust as they do in the provision protection, and providence of God. Jesus is warning us, but he's also causing us the, giving us the opportunity through this warning to not have those same worries. He calls us to be the people on the side of the poor 
and the oppressed. Remember when Jesus starts his ministry in Luke chapter 14, he chooses the text that says, God has sent me to preach good news to the poor. He has called me to proclaim liberty to the oppressed. He has called me to set captives free. Now that is both a spiritual call and a physical call. It does no good whatsoever to teach a man to pray and let him starve. It does no good whatsoever to feed a person and not teach them to pray because they will starve. And it is imperative that we who are Christians take up the call of both of these things. But if we do this work, opposition will come. Fear will happen. Anxiety will increase because we will be taking risks. And risks are dangerous. Jesus says, though, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure. Like, what does Jesus say? He says, it makes God happy. It gives him pleasure. The pleasure that you give when you give a gift to a kid at Christmas and they open it up, or you gave maybe a big gift to your spouse, or, or whatever it is, you gave that gift and that person's face lit up and you felt like a million bucks, that's God. For you. It is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's going to give you the kingdom of God. So what more do you need? You can do crazy things then. Like sell your possessions. And give to the poor. You can provide for yourselves money bags that don't grow old. With treasure in the heavens that doesn't fail. It doesn't fall apart. No thief approaches it. No moth destroys it. No economic collapse can touch it. It is preserved forever because God saw it. Because you did it for love. And God honored that. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. So in all of this time, we have to ask some of these questions. Where are we storing it? Where are we storing it? You can see this sort of fearless living that Jesus is describing. You have to have a radical trust in God to even come close to this. And this is why I suggested last week that we need to move from worry to watchfulness. We need to move from worry to watchfulness. And now, by watchfulness, what I'm saying is is what Jesus is describing right here. The kind of person who is so fixed on seeking the kingdom first that the other things which life will put in our path begin to sort of drop away. I don't think Jesus is trying to create new laws here. He's not trying to make us worry and think, oh, have I given enough of my possessions away? We recognize that Jesus isn't making a new law because all y'all have possessions, right? Right? So are you biblical or not? Oh, right? No, we, we all have, we recognize that Jesus is pointing us toward a path. And that the further you can push yourself through the Spirit to the next level of that path, the further you can get down toward where people are hurting, the further you can do this, the closer you get to God. Because that's what Jesus did. And God always goes towards the pain. And so he's calling us to move in that direction. Not to, not to lay more guilt on top of our backs because we're not doing enough, but rather to recognize the path that could be before us where we are as generous as God is in everything. Now, in your Bibles, between verses 34 and 35, you'll get 
sometimes a subheading right here. You'll get these throughout your Bible. And I need you to ignore it. They're very bad sometimes because they move us into thinking that, that Jesus is transitioning into a new thought. Like he was talking about worry and anxiety and money and uh, trouble. And now he's going to talk about the end times or something. No, Jesus is, this, this thought is continuing. These things are all connected here. And so what is happening next is Jesus is giving us these words. He is saying to us that what we need to do, uh, right here, let's read it. Stay dressed and ready for action. Keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake and when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. So Jesus uh, continues his thought with this scandalous idea, this, uh, this, this immense generosity he's calling us towards. And then he says, now stay dressed and, and ready for action. He begins to drop into a parable that is going to illustrate what he has been talking about the whole time. And I want you to notice how bizarre and wrong this parable is. Do you see any problem with this parable? I've never had a servant or a maid or somebody who's like waiting on me when I come home. But I imagine that were I to come home late from a party and were to come to the door and they were there and ready and opened it up. And I walked in and said, oh, good job. Thanks for opening the door. Now where's my sandwich? I don't put on servants' clothes and go make a sandwich for them for opening the door. That's their job, right? This is complete. This will never happen. This does not happen. That's what's so scandalous about it. He is saying if we are ready when he shows up, when we open the door and he sees we have been working and living and moving and being in his path, he's going to come in and he's going to be, I'm so proud, I'm making you a sandwich. God will serve you. That's crazy talk. That's an immense amount of generosity. The last person in the, in the entire created universe that should serve me is God. And he says, what should you do? Be awake. Be awake. Be ready. I love these role reversals. You see them throughout scripture. It's like God is trying to help us understand we will never get it. (laughs) You remember Jacob and Esau. Jacob, strong and manly, should be leading. But the prophecy came true. The older will serve the younger. We see this with Rahab, the unrighteous prostitute, who is visited by the righteous, interesting question, spies from from Joshua. And Rahab is the hero of this story, not the spies. We see this in Jesus over and over again, don't we? He tells a story of the good Samaritan. This is an oxymoron. It's like the good terrorist. Doesn't work for them, just like it wouldn't work for us. They're walking down the road, and that's the one, the person that you least expect to stop and to help. Jesus says, the last will be first. Jesus himself says, I am the Son of God, and what did I come to do? Not to be served, but to serve and to give my life for you. Not just because I love you, but because that is the way. 
There is no other way to love. There is no other way to peace. All of the roads that we see out there, outside this, this, in this world, are broken and falling to pieces because no one can stop to serve, to love. Jesus is reversing everything we should expect about power and privilege and himself, and he inverts it on his head, and he says something crazy, like, blessed are the poor, and woe to you who are rich. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will take care of itself. Why are you fretting and worrying about all of these other things when your father has taken care of all of that? He warns us not to lose ourselves because it is easy. It is easy to lose ourselves in this day. Isn't it, church? Isn't it? Have you gotten lost a little bit here and there this week? I did. And Jesus is warning us, you need to be watchful. You need to be awake. I am coming back. Are you about my way? Are you about my work? If he comes in the second or the third watch and finds them awake, second or third shifts, if you ever work those, those are miserable shifts sometimes. If you've been awake, blessed are they. But know this, and here Jesus kind of moves to a, a parallel but different parable. But know this, if the master of the house had known the hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. He would have waited there. So you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. And that's why I said this sim- similar parallel, but a little bit different. But again, that same theme comes up again and again and again. The need to be watchful. The need to be in the moment. The need to be in the now. Why? Why? Because we are to be looking. But what are we to be looking for? We are to be looking for God. We are to be looking for God. Where is God working? Where is God moving? Where is God speaking? Where is God loving the unlovable? Where is the unlovable so that I can go and love them? Be watchful. Keep looking for God. Peter says, Peter always says, doesn't he? Lord, are you telling this parable for for us or for all? Because I'd rather take a nap. And Jesus answered, and you can imagine his confusion, because Jesus is talking about going away. This is, that's a whole parable. The master is going away and coming back. And Peter's like, going where? You're right here. We see you. What are you talking about? You can see his probably confusion about these parables. Jesus does the Jesus thing of not answering the question, and yet answering the question by not answering the question. And he says, who is the faithful and the wise manager whom his master will set over his household and give them the portion of food at the proper time. Remember, what are we talking about here? Think about this. Who is the master? If you take this and make this parable like the kingdom of God, who does God want to give the kingdom to? What kind of servants does God want to hand off his kingdom to? If God came and he set all things right and then left again and said, all right, you guys take care of it, what kind of people would he want? What kind of character would he want? What kind of virtue? What kind of actions? Jesus says these kinds of things. And I I just, I love it because it it doesn't really help us a whole lot sometimes. (laughs) 
We look across the world today and we see all of our brokenness. And what I want to point out here too is that in all of these passages where Jesus is warning us to be watchful, you'll notice that there's judgment attached to this, that Jesus is coming back to check on our work, as it were, to check and see what we're doing. What have we done with this immense grace? If God has been so generous as to open up more to you because you know Jesus than to everyone else in the world, you have more grace. What have you done with it? How big has it gotten? How much have you given? And so in this context, when he talks about judgment, judgment has nothing to do with people out there. Judgment has everything to do with the people in here. Judgment comes to the house of the Lord first, where we do our self-assessment and judgment of our hearts, hopefully, so that God doesn't do it. But it starts here. Jesus is talking about his servants. When I come back, I'm looking for my servants. What are my servants up to? And then he tells a parable, another story. And in this story, he tells a story of a, of a, of a Meyer manager who goes away and... Uh, Leaves his associates in charge of the store. And as he goes away, he says, doesn't say when I'm going to come back. He just says, I'll be back. Just take care of things. I'll be back. A week goes by. No word. It gets a little weird. A couple weeks go by. A month goes by. Where is this guy at? Two months go by. He's not coming back. This place is ours. And one of the, one of the managers uh, that's left in charge begins to dip into the liquor and eating the cheese and pushing people around and kind of doing whatever he wants, being a little bit violent, taking. Uh, another one of the assistant managers doesn't, doesn't really want to get involved with all that. He just wants to chill, so he makes himself a, uh, a fort, which is something I have literally always wanted to do. Have you not always thought about doing this with these things? He makes himself a fort, and he just scrolls social media, just hangs out, you know, just chilling, not getting into anything, just I'm doing minding my own business. And another manager doesn't know what he's supposed to do, so he just hangs out. He's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. No one's telling me. So what happens when the, when the manager comes back and he finds this? What is he going to see? What is he going to do? Well, Jesus' story is maybe a little bit harsher than we might be. I'll take this off because that's hard to focus. <laughs> Looking over my shoulder. Um, what's going to happen when they come back? Jesus, uh, Jesus says that when the master returns and finds that violent servant, he will chop him up into pieces and scatter him with the unfaithful. Which might be a little harsh for Meyer, but I've heard some stories about Walmart. So, but um, That is an allusion to an Old Testament text, if you're familiar with Judges, in which an awful and horrific event happens. And they chop this person up and spread it throughout the country to show how, how horrible and how vile and how violent they have gotten. And so Jesus leans on this text and describes, this is what happens to unfaithfulness. The next one, the guy who knew what he was supposed to do and didn't do it, receives a beating. And the one who didn't know what he was supposed to do, and so he didn't do anything quite right, receives a very light beating. Jesus kind of this like, stage process of like severity of punishment. 
And we could do probably too much with that. We need to remember that this is a story, a parable, a way that Jesus is drawing our minds into learning. And he's doing it by describing something they would have experienced, and that is good servants and bad servants. We might have good workers and bad workers, but they're kind of parallel in that sense. And the question that Jesus is laying at our feet is, what are you doing with my grace? Because I am coming back to check on you. And that shouldn't cause us trepidation because we are still his little flock. We are still his sparrows. We are still the ones who are, who are longing to see him come. And we know that he forgives all of our sins. But it doesn't also provide us with a, a reason to sit back and relax. But rather we are called to step forward. So as we talk about not worrying and not being anxious... Jesus isn't saying don't be concerned about things, don't be busy about things. He's saying be concerned, be busy. If you're going to lose sleep over something, guys, and how many of you have have ever had a a night where you had a hard time sleeping? Everyone, because of stress, because of something going on, we've all had that happen. Make sure that if you lose sleep over something, it's over something that matters. Make sure that if you lose sleep over something, if, if you get mad about something, make sure it's something that matters. If you get involved with something, make sure it's something that matters. Your lives matter. Your choices matter. Your ministries matter. What you reach out and touch matters because you are Jesus in that spot. And that is an incredible gift. We sang, he put a gift in a jar of clay that we are fragmented and and really bad at a lot of this. And God loves us so much and trusts us so much that he gives grace to us that we might give grace to others. One of the things I notice about this text is that these texts are not about what we believe. These texts are about what we do. Now, don't at me and think I don't care about what we believe. I'll argue with you all day long. (laughs) How many can witness that? (laughs) (laughs) Scott's my favorite arguing partner. He's the best. I love arguing. But end of the day, Jesus is what matters. I mean, what is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about what we do. He's talking about what we do because what we believe constantly changes and it constantly gets, it gets uh, into conflict with other beliefs. We're constantly doing this, but we can work together in love. This is why our churches have been founded upon the principle that this is the golden oracle. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That is our foundation. Everything else circles around that, orbits around that. And if we have that, if we have that, we can be ready when the master comes and knocks. We can be ready when the master comes and knocks. And we need to be ready when the master comes and knocks. Jesus says, everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will ask more. Y'all, we've been entrusted with a lot. And I know that Many of you have all kinds of things, all kinds of lives that you are, you are touching and, and, and all kinds of things that you, people you are helping, and, and I don't know those stories. 
But I wish those were the stories that we brought into this building. I wish when I turned on social media, those were the stories that I saw. I wish that that, the people of God were filling the world with the stories of all the good you are already doing. And all the good that you could be doing if you leaned a little harder into the path. Jesus is always pushing us. He's never content with where we are. He's always pulling us to transformation. Everything is about change. It's about becoming more and more like him. That means you're going to look different today than you did last year. Praise God. As you lean harder and harder into the path. And so my encouragement for you today is to let go of worry, but not forget the warnings, because all that you do matters. And you have been given so much grace. We are really excited about things that are going on here at ODCC. Things that have been happening behind the curtains that, that many of you are, aren't, don't know about. As the leadership has trying to make plans for how do we move forward in this time. What kind of ministries can we, can we have even available? What can we do? We're wrestling with this as as leaders and as a church, and we are excited that at the end of Camp Church, this upcoming series that I'm really excited about, we're going to be able to share some of, of, of our vision and some of the renewed ministries that we are going to be uh, moving forward with. But right now, just as a, as a place of talking, right now, we will not have the volunteers necessary to do any children's ministry in the month of October. We don't have people who are willing to step up and do it. And I will not burn our volunteers out. It is important to our leadership that the volunteers that we have remain alive and well. And so, as it is now, you can see, we are, we are not able to do these ministries that we want to take forward. And I... I know that no one loves volunteering with children's ministry, and I know that you're all going to be like, oh, this is not true. Yeah, no, it's true. I know, because I worked in children's ministry a long time. <laughs> and it's an opportunity for you to be utterly selfless, to get nothing out of church at all, except for you gave your life to a child. And let me tell you something. The thing that transformed my life as a young believer well, a young non-believer who eventually became one, was not my parents' influence, but by people who had nothing at all to gain from telling me that Jesus loved me. And by hearing that over and over and over again, I kind of believed it a little bit. Our power to transform lives is immense, and it is as small as just saying kind words to children. And we find it so difficult. And so Jesus tells us to step up and to do all that we can. I love this quote. Um, this is from uh, one of our fo- founding uh, fathers, I guess, of the church movement. Um, I've kind of taken this, and it's not Luke 12, actually. I don't know why I have that up there. But uh, this is a statement that he made in one of the, one of the documents that sort of launched us. And I've just, I've, I felt like a kindred spirit to this text for a long time. Barton Stone says, We will that preachers and people cultivate a spirit of mutual forbearance, that we pray more, that we fight less, And while we behold the signs of the times, because brothers and sisters, 
the days were evil in 19, or 1801, and they're evil in 2020. And as we see the signs of those times, what do we do? We look up, we watch, and we wait, confident that redemption is on its way for us. And so our, our call, I think Jesus is pulling us forward to kind of move it forward, is that we are to be moving as much as we can from worry and into watchfulness. That's how we, that's how we maintain our, our fear of God, and that's recognizing that sort of warning peace, continue to live as God calls us to live, to live in the path of Jesus. But also being able to know that we are not to fear. Jesus says, fear not, you are my little flock. But it has to end and begin with us being watchful. And I, I'll just use a simple analogy, and that is just the wind. What does Jesus say the spirit is like? The spirit is like the wind, isn't it? It's blowing this way and that. You can't predict the wind. You don't know where it's going. You don't know where it's coming from. Just suddenly you're like, oh, there's a gust of wind. How do you sense where the wind is blowing, church? What do you do? You stand still. You stand still. And you pay attention to the world around you. If you have uh, panic attacks, this is called grounding exercises. You say, the ground, there's ground under my feet. I can see the tree that is there. It's taller than the tree that is there. And this chair that I'm sitting on, you describe the world around you. Being in that moment takes away the anxiety that you have of the, of the future or whatever it is that's damaging you in the past. And it grounds you in that moment so the panic attack can kind of... Kind of let go a little bit. And Jesus is doing something very similar. He is saying, you need to ground yourself because there is so much evil, so much tearing at us, so much to be angry and frustrated about, so many little things in my life that just don't seem to go right and it just kind of piles up until it's this wall of rage I feel in me. Jesus says, ground yourself in me. Be watchful. Look to see where I am moving and what I am doing. And then let the wind take you too so that you can be with me while I do my work. That's the invitation of God. That's the invitation of God. To make your life mean everything. Not to squander a second of it. To be watchful, to be rooted, to be hopeful. Because our world is desperate for hope. So let's be that hope. Stand with me as we sing this song.